today on Ag News Daily. For meat lockers to apply for grants to improve equipment, expand capacity, uh, even as far as renting some uh, short-term storage space type deal so that they can really ramp up uh, quickly and, and serve their customer base. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Wednesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Hall joined by Ashton Carr. Wait, today is Wednesday, right, Ashton? It is Wednesday. Are you okay. just confused that it's Tuesday? I'm super off. I don't know what day I thought today was. I was thinking maybe it was Thursday. Maybe it was Tuesday. I really couldn't decide. I'm thrown off this week. I know we've kind of got not necessarily a shortened week, but things are just a little bit off, I guess, because I'm heading out of the town this weekend. And we, of course, are off on Monday for Memorial Day. So my brain's all over the place, to be honest. I feel that times a thousand. My brain is also all over the place this week. I'm gearing up for the move this weekend. My house is a disaster. I'm living out of boxes right now. So my brain is just jumbled up. I'm kind of over it this week already. And then following your move, you get to come to Iowa. I know. I'm very, very excited. We're going to be at Pork Expo. We've been talking about it quite a bit, but I'm I'm really excited. Like I said, my first Pork Expo, first time in Iowa as well. So I was just going to ask that. I was just going to ask if you've ever been to the great state of Iowa. I have not. So you're going to have to show me around. I don't know how much there's to show off, though. <laughs> there's a lot. It's a, it's a beautiful state, Ashton. It'll be a perfect time of year. I think temperatures will hopefully be favorable. So yeah, you're coming at a great time. Better now than come, you know, December, January timeframe. You might not love the state as much then. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be visiting around those times, to be honest. I wouldn't want to either if I were you. But anyways, yeah, we'll be at World Pork Expo here in a few weeks. But uh, in the meantime, Ashton... We've got to talk about a little bit of ag news today. Uh, I had this follow-up story. I believe I talked about it last week on the podcast. But we're now seeing a second strike by Argentinian dock workers down in the ports of Argentina, which is, again, causing some concern that there may be a disruption for them being able to get out exports, more specifically grain exports and beef exports. They said that organizers, I should say, of the protests say this strikes anticipated to last about four, last about 48 hours. And their really intent here is to send a message to the government there down in Argentina, letting them know that port workers need to be prioritized for receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. So far, only healthcare workers, police and educators have been giving priority on getting vaccinated. But their strike down there is suggesting that they also need to be vaccinated as well and prioritized there. So we'll see how that uh, all shakes out here. But eh, I'm going to guess if they don't get the vaccination or if they we don't see something change, this strike could continue to go on. They could have another future strike here in the weeks to come. Well, Delaney, my first little bit of news today is not really news, more of an announcement as the National Corn Growers Association Fields of Corn Photo Contest is officially open. This is the eighth year that the 
National Corn Growers Association is having this contest and two new categories have been added. The categories include equipment, bird's eye view, corn, of course, growing field corn, the farm family lifestyle, scenery and landscapes, farming challenges and conservation. Folks, you can visit the Fields of Corn website to enter your best farm photos and vote for your favorite photos. And the minimum width and pixels required is 3,000 for photo submissions. And entries are open to all, and you don't have to be a member of the association, anything like that. But entries will be accepted through November 30th and will be available to accumulate likes on Facebook through December 31st. And winners are going to be announced in January 2022. So a lot of time to collect those photos. So I'm excited to see what the Fields of Corn photo contest is going to collect because I always love looking at farm photos. I don't know about you, Delaney. Yeah, you'll have to submit something. I never, I always see these types of contests and think, wow, it'd be awesome to enter. And then I look through my photos and I think, I don't really have anything super spectacular to enter into these competitions. Well, Delaney, you might have to spiff up on some of your photography skills because there's going to be a total of 26 cash prizes to be awarded to those who enter. So I don't know if you're looking for some extra cash, this might be for you. That is true. And speaking of corn, definitely a much different different line here of story. But we saw corn futures nosedive early on in the trading session today before quickly rebounding. But there was a pretty big piece of news here related to China. They have been rumored to cancel a couple of large corn imports after government officials have now officially cracked down on shipments that have spiraled, they're saying, out of control. We've seen, of course, a lot of corn exports headed to China here over the past couple of weeks. And it sounds like Chinese officials are now cracking down on them and are more specifically trying to restrict corn imports heading into free trade zones, which do not contribute to their official annual purchase quota. So far, we haven't had confirmed cancellations. It's just been rumors by anonymous sources as of yet. And corn markets, again, reacted very short term to that piece of news and quickly turned around. But it is definitely something to keep an eye on here. And the question is, does it become an indication that China is perhaps going to slow down on any sort of export purchases? So unknown yet, but uh, definitely a good piece of news to keep an eye on. Well, Delaney, it was a bit of a slow news day there, but I also have some export news and it's kind of two stories that I'm going to wrap into one here. But the USDA says there is robust demand for U.S. meats right now, especially pork and poultry. The increase in demand has led to a trade surplus, which we experienced last year. So these numbers are coming out of 2020. But USDA shows by volume that broiler meat was the most traded U.S. meat last year and pork exports further contributed toward the growth in the meat trade surplus. Pork exports in 2020 were seven-fold higher than pork imports, increasing more than 15%. That adds up to almost 1 billion pounds from a year earlier. According to USDA data, the United States is the world's largest producer of poultry and beef and the third largest pork producer. But these numbers are pretty intense for pork when it comes to exports in 2020. The U.S. exported 
7,282 million pounds. And in broiler meat, we exported 7,371 million pounds. So a lot of numbers there. But like I said, this is going to be kind of two stories wrapped into one because those numbers, at least in pork, might go down as a recent federal court decision struck down a provision of the USDA's new swine inspection system, allowing for faster line speeds at federally inspected pork harvest facilities. NSIS, which was approved for industry-wide adoption in 2019, modernized an inspection system that had remained unchanged for more than 50 years. Now, the National Pork Producers Council is urging the USDA to intervene before the ruling takes effect at the end of next month. The ruling will dramatically reduce hog farmer market power, particularly smaller producers located near impacted plants, and undermine pork industry competition, according to the council. Left unchallenged, the court ruling will result in a 2.5% loss in pork packing plant capacity nationwide and more than $80 million in reduced income for small U.S. hog farmers, according to an analysis by Dr. Dermot Hayes, an economist at Iowa State University. NPPC also said that they are urging USDA to appeal the ruling, seek a stay while the appeal is considered, and request the agency pursue a new fast-tracked rulemaking that better reflects the modern processing plant technologies and practices and allows for higher line speeds. So just another thing that we're seeing in the pork industry, I honestly feel like there is a lot going on right now, not just here in the U.S., but around the globe, as well as we're also battling, or not us, but but China and some other countries are still battling African swine fever. Um, I mean, just a lot kind of going on right now in the world of pork, I would say. Yeah, there certainly is, Ashton. Uh, but there certainly was a lot going on as well in the commodity markets today. What do you say we take a look here and uh, hop into chat markets? Let's do it. Well, as I mentioned, we saw corn pull back initially this morning, but did finish higher on the day. Soybeans pulled back Reversed course, but ended up ending lower on the day as well. Kicking things up here, though, in the July corn contract up four and a quarter cent today to close at 624 and a half. The September, the December, excuse me, up five and a half cents to close at 521 and a quarter. Soybeans today lower on the day as the July contract shed eight cents to end at 1503 and three quarters. The November down three quarters of a cent to close at 1346 and a half. In the wheat pits today, lower as well, with the July contract shedding seven and three quarter cents to close at 648 and three quarters. The September down seven cents to close at 653 on the nose. Hopping over to take a look at livestock today, there was weakness pretty much across the entire protein complex aside from June lean hogs. Let's kick things off, however, in the live cattle contract. June today, 27.5 cents lower to close at 116.45. The August down 77.5 to close at 119.32 and a half. Feeder cattle lower today with the August contract shedding $1.47.5 to close at 155.20. The September ending the day at 157.10, down 82.5 cents. And as I mentioned, mixed trade here in the lean hog markets with the June contract up two pennies today to close at 115.27 and a half. The July down $1.10 to close at 116.40. And wrapping things up here with our class three dairy milk futures. The June contract down is up 25 cents today to close at 17.96. The July up 34 cents to close at 18.55. Ashton, we have recorded so many fantastic interviews lately. I'm not going to lie. I can't keep track of who we're playing for today. So fill us in on that. 
Well, today we're talking about some new legislation up there in your neck of the woods with Chad Ingalls. Well, today we are joined by Chad Ingalls, who is a livestock and grain farmer. He's also been involved in some legislation here in the state of Iowa. Chad, thanks so much for joining today. But talk to us a little bit about your role as a representative. This is your first term in office, so uh, definitely probably a little bit of a learning curve. But talk to us a little bit about what you've been doing since stepping into that role. Sure. Yes, I got elected uh, for the first time last November to the Iowa House of Representatives and represent uh, a couple counties in Northeast Iowa, uh, Buchanan County and Fayette County. And uh, like you said, it's definitely been a a steep learning curve. We started back mid-January and just wrapped up about a week ago. And uh, I'm still not always sure what's going on, but uh, (laughs) I've learned a lot and uh, it, it improved vastly over the first month where I really had no idea what was going on. So, And Chad, with your role, obviously you represent, like you said, there's some Northeast Iowa counties, which are some pretty ag-centric areas. Talk to us a little bit about what you've been involved in here uh, in session. Obviously, probably a lot of ag-related items. Yep. So I I serve on a handful of committees, agriculture and environmental protection are a couple of them, along with economic development. And so those all are are pretty closely connected to agriculture. And I try try to use some of my experience uh, and and background in that uh, to to work through some of the issues. And, And surprisingly, we didn't have a lot of Ag uh, related uh, bills that went through this year. Uh, uh, one that we're going to be talking about a, a, a locker, uh, a bill to help lockers uh, was one of them. But then also we did uh, a beginning farmer tax credit bill and also a, a farmer or a farmer driver, young driver bill that allows uh, 14 to 16 year olds to drive within farm operations, between operations. Well, Chad, we wanted to talk a little bit more specifically about this new bill concerning meat lockers because you introduced this bill and you're set to establish the Butchery Innovation and Revitalization Fund and Program. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about why exactly you introduced that bill and some of these small details that we'll kind of dive into a little bit further into our conversation. Sure. Well, it, I've had a lot of discussions over the last uh, few years. I, I sell uh, some pigs direct to c- consumers um, through our local lockers, and it's always kind of a challenge to get uh, locker times exactly when you want it. And then uh, about a year ago, uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, all our local lockers just got slammed and, and booked up uh, really far out. Uh, last year, uh, in April, I contacted our local locker and couldn't get an appointment till the, through 2021 into 2022. And I've heard of some booking out even further. So it really brought to focus uh, the issue of local meat processing, uh, lack of capacity, a lack of uh, ability to uh, meet the farmers and customers needs along the way. 
Yeah. And I think that COVID definitely shed some light on that issue. So I'm glad we've seen some of this legislation come forth now, but talk to us a little bit more specifically, what is this bill intending to do? How's it going to solve the supply chain issue or any potential issues, I guess, for that matter? Yeah, sure. So, so what the bill does, it sets up a locker grant program within the Iowa Economic Development Authority and the rules aren't written yet. It actually isn't signed yet by the governor. I hope that'll happen here in the next week or two. Um, but it sets up a grant fund um, to, for meat lockers to apply for grants, to improve equipment, expand capacity, uh, even as far as renting some uh, short-term storage space type deal so that they can really ramp up uh, quickly and, and serve their customer base. And then the second part of the bill addresses some of the workforce issues, workforce issues that uh, we've heard about and sets, uh, puts together a task force to look at what kind of job training program do we need to supply uh, local lockers with the workforce that they need. Chad, I want to talk a little bit more about the parameters, because when we're talking about small meat lockers, how, how do you determine what small is? Well, our, our meat lockers really vary by size. A, a lot of them are um, mom and pop. Maybe they, maybe they have a handful of employees up to some that uh, have 10, 20, 50 employees. So we set the number at... Uh, less than 50 employees in their kind of custom operating or custom processing part of their business. Um, we had looked at some lower numbers in that, but felt comfortable that if we hit that 50 number, we would catch almost all of the, the lockers within Iowa, the local lockers. And Chad, have you guys talked about or in your discussions when you were voting on this bill, was there any sort of discussion about what kind of economic or financial impact this could have for local smaller meat lockers? We didn't so much look at the financial impact, but but part of the grant program where we're looking at um, building uh, jobs in a community is one, one of the things that we would look at. We would also look at um, their ability for farmers to, to do uh, eventually do custom branding of products. And so when a meat locker would apply for that program, they would kind of specify what this extra capacity building would do for them and their customers. And so we explicitly put that point in because we heard from farmers that they want to be able to not only sell uh, halves and holes, but get get to that next step where they can sell a meat by the piece to a, to a wider audience. Gotcha. Okay, that's super cool. And I love that this legislation has uh, been pushed forth, not only in Iowa, but also in Nebraska. I don't know if you've had any any interactions with any Nebraska legislators, but is their bill pretty similar to the one that we pushed forth here in Iowa? I took a look uh, at the bill that they did, and it sets up, uh, I think, called a, a local meat processing assistance fund or something like to, in that vein. Um, which would do similar type things. And also part of their bill um, creates, uh, uh, consumers can buy shares in, into livestock or, or farmers can still sell so many shares uh, to their customers that would allow for a different level of uh, um, meat inspection to occur. Like in Iowa, we have three different levels of meat inspection, uh, that custom, 
state inspected and then um, federally inspected is the highest level, the most difficult the level to achieve. Um, but I think the Nebraska bill focuses on uh, letting a lot more um, consumers and farmers work together on that custom level inspection, which would be kind of the, the lowest level, easiest inspection level. Well, Chad, last year during the pandemic, we had a lot of learning curves thrown at us. And with that being said, what are some learning curves that you've had to adjust to since stepping into office? So um, I guess when we were in, in session, there were just a lot less people that uh, came to the Capitol to, to interact with. And so that made it a little more challenging maybe on how to, what, what our, local constituents were thinking all the time, but at the same time, it opened up some connections, just like we're doing on, on uh, visiting online, uh, recording the podcast. We were able to connect uh, to groups a little easier uh, online, uh, maybe not have completely the same level of discussion, uh, but uh, certainly get their points across. And, and I think we were able to reach out at the Capitol a little more transparency what was going on because people could connect uh, and see those things happening daily rather than uh, um, before. Well, it's been really fun to follow along with you on social media, seeing uh, your life here in Des Moines, and then also still, of course, back on the farm balancing those. And I think it creates a cool perspective for folks that maybe someday want to get involved in politics. So, Chad, we certainly appreciate you coming on the podcast today and chatting with us about this new legislation. And I continue about this.